Okay, guys, welcome back to the TXG podcast, season two, episode two. We have a, a really, really special guest uh, with us this week. Um, we have Mr. Mike Taylor, co-founder of Artisan Golf. Mike, it's great to have you with us. Hey, it's great to be here, guys. Awesome. And uh, you, I, your trust you're keeping well. And you know, obviously, it's uncertain times for, for all of us in the golf industry and, and in any industry right now. And you guys are all, all keeping well. I assume you're shut down right now. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've taken measures to do our part at Artisan right now to keep our, you know, we've got so many customers in and out of the doors and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with our business, the way that we handle our parts in, in the shop and everything, we're going to have to figure out even when we do go back to work what some of the safety measures are going to, you know, look like on the backside of, yeah. you know, this, this COVID-19 virus. Mm-hmm. because That's a great point. it's important to me to protect our team. You know, you yeah. guys do fittings. Hey, handle all this stuff. Everything, you know, everything's hour, back and forward, isn't it? It's going to handle this. You know, look at our yeah. production, you know, processes, you know, whether it's putters, wedges, or what are all of our aspects of our work. We've got multiple individuals that handle these parts within any, yeah. you know, small period of time. So, um, you know, that's all going to have to be, you know, evaluated from the standpoint, but, uh, everyone's safe. Um, uh, yeah. you know, we wish we could go back to work. Business was really, really good. Uh, lots of orders there. Uh, mm-hmm. it was, it, it was just a strange time to be kind of kicked out the door, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, and, and the artisan experience with you guys, the, this whole thing is so one-on-one, isn't it? It's, it's so kind of back and forth. Try this. Okay, let's let's go and work on a little bit of that. It's such a one-on-one experience. There's there's no getting away. It's tough to distance yourself from someone when you're when you're working with them personally. Well, that's what we want to do. You know, that's where mm. we feel like we do our best work is when we have that one-on-one experience. Whether it's you know our fitter Jamie Pipes working with someone with their wedges that interaction testing testing those different grinds john working out there on the greens with these putters that's that's our wheelhouse that's where our success is is when we can get that individual there and find out really what works best for them you know i look behind you there look at all those shafts and everything well that that's part of what we're looking at is you know we're looking at what what's the enabler uh, for the ball striking. If you look at, you know, if you look at this game, it's about ball striking and the shaft's yeah. a big part of that. So it's a big mm-hmm. part of how we fit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think one thing I was shining a couple of fitters the other day and we were both saying how open of an environment our facility is, his facility is. I mean, Mike, even when I was at artisan, you know, you had quite a few, friends that came by during the day so i think one of the biggest measures for us going forward is is really staying to a strict appointment only basis to keep everyone safe i think that's uh that's probably uh an idea that will be implemented in a lot of businesses from the standpoint of hey you know what social distancing right now i think people i think we come out the other side of this is businesses as families is people that it's going to change the way our lives look a little bit would you agree mm-hmm. yeah, yeah for sure and a little yeah. bit cleaner yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, i've never <laughs> washed my hands so much you know me man i've yeah. been a dirty hands guy for 30 something years with all that steel and everything my hands are, they are well washed, I will assure you. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, Mike, tell us, tell us a little bit about what is, what is someone going to experience? Or, t- or start maybe tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from, you know, Nike Golf and, and sort of how that unfolded into Artisan. Maybe tell us a little bit about that story. Well, Back in that time, you know, that was obviously a big shocker to the team and, you know, at Nike and especially the team at the oven in Fort Worth. And, you know, during, you know, we worked, John and I and a number of other people, we worked for a good many months in that facility 
uh, with some shutdown and, you know, a lot of tour work. You know, Nike did a good job not just kind of freaking all their tour players out and go, Mm -hmm. hey, go find you, you know, something new to play right now. We built a lot of tour product in there. And uh, so during that time, you know, John became interested in looking at that equipment and all and uh, all of the all of what that was. And the pieces fell into place. And uh, Mm. we finished on a Friday in February. And uh, we came back on Monday morning and started artisan golf in the same in the same facility. Hey, we're very blessed. There were a lot of people that that participated in making that a reality for us. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it was a shocker to the industry. I'll never forget the day, obviously hearing about it. And at the time I was on staff with Nike um, and I had recently been down and visited with you guys at at the oven. And and it was, it was a real shocker um, to, to everyone that, that Nike was sort of was disappearing. So, Let's take us let's take us back a little bit. So we probably should have started there. Tell us about your origin story and how you get into the golf industry. How when did that start and, and kind of what were the, the steps along the way for you? Well, I came to uh after after I graduated from college, I came to Fort Worth. Um I, a lot of guys that friends of mine and people that we had the same type of degrees, we all, we all came to the North Texas area to work in aerospace. That was our right. intentions. So mm-hmm. during that time I was doing, uh, you know, some part-time work for, um, a fellow from my hometown to the tool and die shop in Fort Worth, just trying to, you know, he needed some help and I needed something to do while I was uh, doing some interviews and things like that. And and he gave me a lead on an opportunity at the Ben Hogan Company. So right. uh, he convinced me to go over there. And that's where I made my first contact with Tom Stites and mm-hmm. and uh, which I worked with uh, for many, many years. Uh, the president there, Jerry Austry, uh, he and I are at the time of Ben Hogan company, he was the president. He and I've been friends for over 30 years. I talked to him just the other day, you know, just kind of, but that's where it all started. And then, uh, you know, we worked, you know, from there, we worked for HTM all those years at impact. Then we started, uh, you know, impact was a, was a time where, you know, David Franklin and I and, and Tom made a rela- lot of relationships back in those days with some companies. We were, that's where we really learned how to be product developers, mm-hmm. prototypers, which I I look at the credibility of the learning that we did during that part of our career probably was the big enabler for us to be really good at making some of the things that we fabricated over many, many years and still do for the people that play the professional tours around the world. Mm. Like how hands-on was, uh, was Hogan himself? You know, I never, I never spent a lot of time with, you know, that was Mr. Hogan's involvement at the time that I worked there, uh, was definitely a lot less than it was probably three or year, four years before that. But, uh, you know, one of my great mentors in this business was, uh, a gentleman by the name of Gene Sheely. He was a master model maker there, and he worked very closely with Mr. Hogan for many years. Uh, I did, I did see, you know, irons and things still, but he was involved. Gene and and Tom and those guys would have meetings with him about his thoughts on certain things, and I know that he worked with, uh, you know, Jerry Austry back in those days as far as hey, what the direction. I, John and I both worked at Ben Hogan Company during the time of the Hogan Edge development and introduction, and that was a crazy time, man. You talking about it was three shifts. Uh, it was a great foundation for our careers there because not only did we work around people that had a lot of years of you know developing product, working with you know very high level players but it was a manufacturing environment. And when you really look at what we do in the golf industry, we have to manufacture things. And we learned a lot about golf club manufacturing 
during that time. You know, if you look at how a lot of way we've operated over the years, we we've done a lot of a lot of assembly, a lot of fitting, a lot of fabrication, but we're not making heads here from raw forgings like we once mm-hmm. did in this country, on a large scale for sure. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is uh, is is the sort of byproduct of that? Like, what do you think is is the the sort of downside that we're not doing it that way anymore? Well, I think that the product development is very solid within a lot of these companies. I just think the the disconnect, and we've got to get people to spend time. We just have to have people in place that understand and work with your manufacturers because they're they're the key. They're they're the ones that are producing a lot of these heads for these companies. Okay, mm-hmm. if you don't, you can you you have to follow through with the quality from the inspections and things like that to assure that what is being manufactured is what your intentions are. I mean, if you it, I, that that factories a lot of times are a long ways from from where we're at. So, yeah. and there's a time disconnect and things like that. Cause a lot of this is done in Asia nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. Hey, with the, with the, it's about relationships, you know, you've got to know the right people. Um, and you've got to get people working with the right people in order to get, you know, get that quality and to make sure that there's stability in, in those models. There's so much yeah. tooling involved. That's, that's just a part of it that a lot of times, you know, that we don't see until you've been in these facilities, how much tooling that is involved, whether it's making forgings or, I mean, look at the modern driver product. Yeah. I mean, I've lost count of how many pieces some of these drivers have nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So true, isn't it? So, so true. Hey, and they've all got to be put together correctly. And that has to be controlled. For yeah. sure. Like when you, when you transition from Hogan, um, give us a bit of a background on, on impact golf technologies. Well, Hogan was going, you know, through some, some changes there for sure. Um, you know, there was talk of the company leaving Fort Worth and, you know, Tom kind of initiated some things. We, we, we had left Ben Hogan Company and, and went to work for HTM for, you know, a number of years. And uh, then, you know, Tom had this idea of, you know, started a product development company for golf clubs. Uh, and we did that. We, we worked in some little shops all over, you know, Fort Worth. Uh, we worked for a lot of companies. We learned a lot of things about you know, hey, it was a lot like Artisan early on. Uh, we did what we had to do, you know, to get a paycheck. Uh, but it really, you know, it turned into a a, we, a business where we, we started being recognized as people that could fabricate, you know, things. We were making masters. I mean, we even made metal wood molds back in those days. A lot different mm-hmm. than a lot of the stuff that you see now. But, you know, those years, there was, a, there was some materials things starting to happen. Uh, and it kind of put us in a position where we were, we were looking at everything from just not that OEM, uh, one brand perspective. And, uh, you know, and the net net of that is, is that we met, you know, Bob Wood and some, and some people from Nike. And, and that mm-hmm. was kind of the foundation of... Uh, you know, how the oven ended up in Fort Worth. Very cool. Um, yeah, and, and fast forwarding into into Nike, Mike, what was that like? That must have been so exciting when, you know, the, the number one sports brand in the world transitioned into golf. And obviously they, they make moves that they do and the iconic players and, and, and sort of sportsmen they had with Jordan and, and people throughout the years. And obviously the move they made for for tiger and building this stable of of nike athletes um what was that like oh it was an incredible time you know mm. i don't know that we we really knew what to expect 
you know, I mean, the biggest brand we'd ever worked for at the time, Tom, myself, most of us, was obviously Ben Hogan Company. And we'd yeah. worked for some other bigger brands, but not on the inside. And then, you know, you meet all of these people and you see this thing. But it became very obvious early on that there was a serious commitment there you know, to the golf equipment business because, you know, what Nike does really well is they build relationships with athletes and they mm -hmm. use those athletes in order to develop and sell product. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned one, <laughs> Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, it's right. just unbelievable. And then you look at all the athletes that we worked with during that time. It was just yeah. an incredible learning experience because we always have learned a lot from, you know, the professional athletes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the time that we spent with, with Tiger and, and Paul Casey and yeah. Rory and, and just so many of those, you know, I, I think about them all the time and kind of reflect back on that sometimes as far as, you know, what, what we learned and a lot of it is still the foundation of what, how we will always, it's a process. What we learned mm -hmm. during those is how to develop product for athletes. What does that process look like? Right. And we got pretty good at it. You sure did. And, and that's something, um, I recently read Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog, about obviously, you know, Nike and, and its inception and, and kind of how it developed into being the, the monster that it is now. And one thing when you get towards the end of, of Phil's book is you really get a sense of the family that, that Nike are from, from the top down. And he talks about a couple of things that happened to him, tragedies in his life. And the first people that called him were these superstars. First person he said when he went through a real family tragedy was Tiger called him. Can I do anything? Are you okay? I mean, that was the real vibe I got that Nike was a family. Yes. I mean, we all heard from a lot of athletes. Holy cow. I've got emails that I've, I will keep forever, yeah. you know, from athletes from during that time. And, the, you know, the, it affected a lot of people's lives. Um, we moved forward. You know, we mm. stayed in the same building where we used to work with, you know, 50 people. We still work there today. Yeah. I, it's just, it's, I know it would be different for people that were there only a few hours after that layoff, if they were there, mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've been doing our thing at Artisan Golf now for about, you know, for a little over three years. So right. it, it's all, it, 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 uh, that's crazy that it's been that long already, but you know, we've, we've moved past that, but we still hear from a lot of the guys, you know, golf is a network. You guys know, we don't really know sometimes where we all plug in, but you're in yeah. the network somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and obviously one of the things that you guys developed with your relationships and how closely you worked with the players was you built up an incredible level of trust with these guys to the point where, you know, a lot of them are like, you know, no, that's the way I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go down that route. And these are the guys I trust to do my work. And, you know, that must've been pretty special to have the trust of the best players in the world. Yeah, I, uh, for sure. You know, and that goes back, go, that goes back to what I saw when I really didn't know, uh, a whole lot about this when I was at the Ben Hogan company, I saw that mm. commitment of, you know, people that had had built relationships with Ben Hogan and a lot of, you know, athletes, um, you know, I've known Lanny Watkins all the way back to those, to those times. Mm. And we, we learned so much in it. What we, what we did is that we really took a good deep look at what that process looks like. Where do you start? Yeah. You know, and it's, a, and it's no different than way we, we do it. Hey, we work for, we're doing some work these days for Bryson DeChambeau. The process mm. is the same. He's playing in a different era. The game's a little different. The equipment's a little different, but the process is the same. You still yeah. evaluate, you know, the product a lot the same. Mm -hmm. Hey, the wedge game, it hadn't really changed that much. <laughs> from 100 the yards. The objective's still the same, isn't it? Get it as close as you hey, can get it. From 100 yards, 
the game hasn't changed as much as yeah. it has from uh, from a lot of from a lot of other a, from a lot of a other areas. Point. It's a brilliant point. Well, that's uh, Rocco and I were having a decision uh, a decision making process. We were having a conversation one day, and uh, you know he he would just bl- blankly throw that out there, and I'm like, dude, you're so right because. Yeah there's just certain assets that we look look at today that set athletes apart from the rest of us that enjoy playing this game. But when we get into that wedge game, it's, it's all, it all gets real fair at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, I had, uh, I, I asked, uh, Instagram this morning, any questions that people would have for, for Mike Taylor. And uh, it's one that I think I've, I've asked you and I've, I think you and I spent too many hours at a barbecue joint one night speaking about this, but when you take a, when you take a wedge, whether it's working with a player or just having, you know, a raw blank wedge in your hand, what's your philosophy behind designing it? And then, where does your mind go when it comes to working with a player and getting that specific grind? Well, you know, that's – we probably did discuss that for a while. That can, can get real deep. But just from a philosophical standpoint, you know, my my wedges in my eye has been influenced by a lot of the players that I made wedges for them. So – my eye has kind of become very integrated with a lot of those looks. That's kind of where my look is a blend of a lot of athletes I worked with for a lot of years. Uh, I don't like wedges that have a lot of offset. I like a little straighter leading edge. Those are things that were like, oh, yeah, Mike, I like this. And I'm like, well, I do too. So here we are, you know. But I like product that people appreciate that, that looks good down there. That's that encourages people to take ownership in. Hey, I like this wedge. This is mine. Uh, I've experienced that with a lot of athletes. Then, from a you know, what we do obviously is all about performance. So, you know, we look at the turf interaction needs and we do a lot of studying as far as the from what do the balance of these wedges and putters look like as far as how they are an asset to your game. Some of that's grinds. Some of that is builds. Uh, you know, we still recognize the importance of the shaft in all of these products. I think the wedge shaft is absolutely very important for each individual athlete or customer from the standpoint of how it enables them to be the best ball striker they can be at a lot of different club head speeds. They're not irons, mm-hmm. man. Wedges point. are different, and uh, we take a really good look at that during some of our fittings, and you know, then we get into the turf interaction piece. You know, what brings that balance? You've, you and I have worked through a lot of that, Mike, and it, it's not about just, okay, well, approach shots. We've got to find that correct balance of the turf interaction that we need for approach shots pitch shots, chip shots, bunker shots, and then how that build enables that ball striking uh, so that you can – you when you get into that position where you need to hit these shots, you can do it with confidence. That's just the net-net result that we're looking for as we fit and build product with people is confident conformance, you know, performance with these tools. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one word I've heard a lot of our fitters say, I, I mean, I say it when I've been into fits is, um, you know, creating a club that can almost be autopilot for, for those customers. And that, that's confidence and trust in, and performance. Well, we're all going to find ourselves in some less than perfect positions on the golf course. We know that. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how do you want to go into that? You're going to have to perform from those areas. <clears throat> You know, if you look at the work we did with athletes for so many years, I mean, you look at, okay, uh, a player's, you know, he's in an, he's at a position where he should expect himself to score from. How do we help him overcome the difficulties 
of the most challenging shots. Okay, short-sided. There's just a number of things where even the best players know that they they and when you can elevate that look these guys games and young ladies games are the result of a lot of hours working with tools hey are we spending those hours building confidence with these tools are we spending hours finding out that oh boy i better not end up here because it's not a nice place to be come on we can do something about some of that oftentimes for sure Mike, I remember, um, I remember w- when I visited the oven and you had a group of us together and we were talking about sort of different fitting philosophies and you mentioned something about you really, you really look at the, you, obviously you want to look at the perfect lies and what the ball flight is, but you want to look at what does the ball do when it's in the rough? How can you have a competitive advantage when you're in a less than perfect environment? You know, and you, you looked at head weight, um, is, is one of the key things that, that you thought was important to you with regards to irons of the iron set? Uh, yes. I mean, we, we realized that, you know, the turf interaction needs, mm-hmm. we've got to look at it from, from every perspective. It's fairway lies. How do we, yeah. you know, the rough is, uh, presents itself to a high level of difficulty. And we're, and we're actually, I think we're in an era of the game today because of the, the ability to spin a lot of these golf balls puts us at even a more of a disadvantage when it comes to rough. Ball don't spin. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and on a lot of those type of approach shots, out of those type of like conditions, spin is not necessarily a bad thing. It's control. So, right. uh, you know, with with the way we expect the shafts, you know, to work, uh, mass. I know that there's probably a lot of people that, oh, Mike uses such heavy heads or whatever. No, I don't. I really use basically uh, the heads that we've used for decades in order to build this product. And I, I feel like I'm not understanding the reasoning why that a lot of these companies nowadays have decreased their head weights because mm-hmm. ability to generate club head speed is not necessarily an asset in the rough. We need it, the mass there, you know, we're talking about three or four grams. I don't even, I think we fail to look at, you know, we're dealing in an era now I look at this. I look at this screen, and I see all those shafts back there. That's a result of our of our search for variable total weights of golf clubs, mm. right? Right. There's performance assets that vary, but mm. I, I look. I take a look at the game now as an overall picture. Look at the young ladies that play uh, golf today, and how they have ascended to a level of talent that is incredible. And a lot of that has to do with the total weight variables. We've been able to lighten these golf clubs. You know, women's professional golf early in my career seemed to be a little bit dominated by very strong ladies because the clubs were still pretty heavy, Heavy, steel Mm -hmm. shafts. Now we've lightened it. Now now we have, you know, we have these smaller – uh, girls out there playing the game very successfully. Um, so that is something that we look at very keenly at Artisan is what we're doing from a total weight perspective. You know, if we need to lighten the golf club, we don't necessarily need to li- do it with lightening the heads. We'll find mm-hmm. us a little bit lighter shaft. There's a whole Nippon, uh, KBS, True temper, of course. Everybody has started to build these lighter weight shafts that have become fairly enabling for for people. But my my point is with mm. this is that that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to lighten the club heads as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Very cool. I, another uh, one quick question, Mike. As I have it here. People ask me all the time, what is an MT grind? And obviously not trying to give away your secrets, but what can you, uh, what can you tell everyone about, uh, about an MT grind? 
Well, there's a, there's a lot of MT grinds out there. Uh, you know, there's some, I guess, I guess if you, if you're looking at some of these artisan wedges and things that, you know, I've worked on over the years, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, MT grinds, but I, I want that, I want that grind to be, if someone has that on their, on their wedges, that, that those are grinds that we're putting on the bottom of that wedge specifically to elevate their balance with those tools from the standpoint of the turfer interaction needs where you play. Not everybody plays golf in Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of that. You've kind of during the fittings when, uh, you know, that I learned a lot during the years of working with globally with so many athletes of how truly the turf interaction needs definitely change. They change here greatly, but in this state, I mean, you've got, uh, you, you've got customers and friends of mine that play golf in West Texas is very links top golf courses. They're dry and firm. Sometimes mm -hmm. we make the tools a little different for, that links condition than we do for, uh, you know, somebody that's playing in a very soft, very grainy type lie condition. So there's a lot of variable in, in, in an empty grind. I just hope that those grinds that, you know, that we produce for, for, for folks bring a very nice level of balance to their game. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, Mike, obviously over the years, the, the, the guys, the players, the athletes that have come through, obviously from when it was the oven, there must have been some so many unique experiences and, and amazing range sessions um, that, that you sort of must have stood there and just said to yourself, this is, this is unbelievable. That we're seeing you know, greatness from Nick Price, Rory, Tiger, Maybe, maybe tell us about some of those range sessions that stick in your mind where you saw just amazing, incredible levels of performance. I can do that. Uh, you know, you can be – when you can be amazed by the talented, uh, the talented assets that a lot of these players have from a ball striking standpoint, but walk a mile in some of our shoes – we have to produce products for, for these athletes. So, yeah. you know, you look at what you do uh, in order to, you know, facilitate their game. Uh, and I remember once, uh, it was during the impact time, Nick Price was in town and we, and we had built a six-iron prototype for him. And he and I tested it out there at Leonard's well before the oven or any of that. And I'm going to tell you, it scared the daylights out of me, man, because when you get that kind of feedback and you see that level of talent, mm. what you start to understand is the accountability that you have not to make a mess out of that. So mm -hmm. when an athlete tells you, oh, I like this, it enables me to do this, this soul is so good, you know, okay, it's a six iron. How are we going to mm -hmm. make seven iron, eight iron, nine iron pitch, pitch mm -hmm. you know, a three iron probably at the time, all fit into this same level of performance standard. And, you know, and the first time I ever was within five feet of Tiger hitting the balls, I'd never, I'd never heard anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, just the power and a word that I use to describe today a lot of what I think we hear with a lot of his ball strikes is a very intense level of energy transmission to the golf ball. Yeah. That, that shaft, that spring is loaded and it is unloaded at a perfect time. And the golf ball understands that he means business. Same as it did for, you know, Nick and a lot of these other players, Anthony Kim just unbelievably nearly just knocked me down with, with, uh, you know, how, good a ball striker he was and how it sounded so but I think the net of that those experiences are the reason that we took documenting what we do for our athletes and customers mm -hmm. so much um, accountability there 
because it's like, oh, my gosh, when a guy goes, let's say they tell you, Ian, this is the best six iron I've ever hit in my life. In a short story, that's telling you, Ian, you're going to get to make the rest of the set like yeah. this, and you better right. be able to make them time and time <laughs> again. So, you know what? This can't be an accident. You have to – We have, and what we found during those times and through those experiences that you've got to freaking really take up the level of documentation that you do on these sets and on these grinds and, and all of this and these builds. You've got to know what these guys' builds are. You've got to control, you know, that length, those head weights, and those resultant total weights have got to be consistently carried over until we are directed to to make them different. Yeah. yeah, it's funny you. It's funny you talk about you know Tiger's ball striking this time last year. Ian and I were sitting on the range mm. watching Tiger hit a few balls, well maybe an hour long hitting balls, and as a golfer, it made a funny feeling in my pants, and I'm sure everyone else sitting there. So it was uh, very impressive. <laughs> Oh, it's no joke, man. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and I think most people, they relate it to what they hear. You know, you yeah. see it, you see the delivery and everything, but that there's an energy, there's mm -hmm. an energy there that I think about it. The tool pays, plays a part of that when you're hitting seven iron. Okay, he's not in a he's not alone in a club head speed category. Think about that. Yeah. Mike, talk hey. about that a little bit for a second if you can. Just the acoustics of when of when you do a fit when you work with a player. How has your sort of how have you evolved from what you hear is often, you know, how you react to turf interaction or strike or things like that? Well, I think you can hear the consistency. You know, I think even the customers, as we work with them, you know, we yeah. start we start doing some ball striking, whether it be from you know with a seven iron or for seventy yards with you know a mm -hmm. you know a, a a sawed down soft sand wedge. Uh, but that enablement, you know, a lot of that roots back into, in my opinion. We give mm -hmm. a lot of credibility to club heads. That's the shaft. That's the that shaft is the spring. So we yeah. load it and we unload it at that point of time of ball impact. And when that is consistent and when that total weight of that golf club enables you to swing that golf club with a certain expectation of knowing, mm -hmm. you know, where that ball strike mm -hmm. is and can, t you know, take control of that turf interaction – I think that's the result is that we hear, we hear it, you know, more clean and more consistent. Yeah, I don't hear as yeah. well as I used to, but I guarantee you, I can hear a good ball strike still. Yeah, when, when Mike and I were on the range, um, we got really lucky where we were sat at Augusta and right next to Tiger, DJ was, was hitting some wedge shots. And I'll never forget just the sound of, the, of DJ hitting some wedge shots and Tiger. It was infinitely different. And DJ's hitting some lovely shots. You can see the results, but the distance control wasn't quite the same. The reaction of the ball from a spin perspective wasn't quite the same. And Tiger was hitting these shots that were perfect. And everyone was the same. And then he would vary the length. And it would just look like just an elevated uh, strike quality that, that the best players in the world can't even achieve. It's the control of the energy. You know, I think, yeah. I think that a lot of players are capable of that, but maybe they just haven't found exactly the, that mm. perfect build for them yet that brings that. You know, you hit on something there that I think at the professional level, good players in general, what we all need to strive for when we look at, you know, our ball striking is everybody now – is really like, oh boy, how far I hit it. You need to know yeah. how far you hit it. Golf is a distance control game. And for mm -hmm. you to become better at this game, we have to be a better ball striker. And, and, and the resultant of that is, is a better control of how far we hit the ball. Therefore, when you get to those yardages, you know, that we, I mean, look at Tiger's game. 
Mm -hmm. It's a lot about distance control. And I think professional golfers, um, you know, when they're at their best is when their distance control is at its best. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so true. And, and, you know, I saw a recent clip, you know, and and when Taylor made get the guys together to, to launch new product and there's Tiger and there's Rory and there's DJ and they, they were talking about distance control and Tiger said, um, you know, put me, put us all in a long golf course. He's like, I don't have a, I don't have a chance against you guys because you all hit it so far so often bring us into, you know, a golf course where it's all about shot shape and put a five iron in my hand versus you guys. And he looked them all in the eye when he said it. He's like, I'll, you know, I'll win my fair share of those contests. Yeah. And uh, they don't want to see that eight iron in that hand very often. Hey, when that, when that man has eight iron, people are in trouble. That's right. He's, uh, he is an incredible, uh, ball striker, but the eight iron just seems to be the, the just, it's just the magic. Mm. Is that what you always found Mike from those sessions that there was when he had eight iron in his hand, it was just, uh, just maximum control. I don't know if it was from the sessions. I just look at the tools over the years and the eight iron always seems to incur more wear, which tells me that Mm. he probably, he may warm up with it. You know, I, he may, it may be the golf club. I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to speak for him, but yeah. I think it may be the golf club. Everybody goes out there. Hey, what, if you want to find out how's my ball striking today, you usually go back to that same golf club that you feel like mm-hmm. you usually strike it well with when that set you play and that kind of measures you out. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I think it may be that eight hour. So it's a lot of shots with eight irons and you know, that's, uh, it's just for whatever reason, it's, it's, it's always seemed to be, I think they're all top performers, but yeah. you know, I think the, that the eight iron in my mind kind of stands out a little bit. Like, can we, can we, can we speak about, um, kind of the the Patrick Reed process when 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 he was in contact with you yeah before uh you know he won the masters you know we hadn't worked with we hadn't worked with Patrick in a number of years and I guess you know a lot of word spread that you know kind of what we were doing and he was interested in some things so you know at that time I didn't even wasn't even working with some of the forgings that I'm working with now but you know uh, luckily we were able to save a lot of our old forgings. I've been scavenging forgings for decades. I'll throw away a finished golf club in a heartbeat, but I'm going to throw away a forge. A forging <laughs> is, Hey, Hey, there's the, Hey, that's the, that's the canvas that hadn't had a picture painted on it yet. Right. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. going through some of that and he came up and we did some work and, you know, kind of looked at, you know, what was going on and, and, uh, and we, we built some wedges, and, I mean, that was one wild Sunday, I'm telling you. Coming down the wires, my phone was about to start smoking, man. So it was good. It was good for Artisan, good for, you know, Patrick's uh, – he's an incredible player. He's a good ball striker. So, mm. you know, uh, we've, we've done work for him off and on, you know, for the last number of years. Uh, it's going to be an interesting time. I've been thinking about this with all of these guys being away from their travels and all this, what are the, what are the games going to look like on the backside of this time in our lives mm-hmm. and this time in their lives? I, yeah. I'm going to predict there's going to be a few players that are going to show up with a level of game that we have not seen before. Yeah, I agree. Hey, Hey, this is like, it, it, this is like going, hey, it's, I've got all this time to test and train. You know, all these mm-hmm. guys that kind of let the testing get in the way of what they're doing sometimes, I encourage them right now. Hey, I know that a lot of people that you're working with may not be working, but make some decisions. You know, go put some, some work into, into, you know, not only the tour people that we know, but everybody, if you can get out there, you know, put some, if you have the time, put some time into your game where it needs some investment of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Even, even for, I think, you know, Ian and, and myself, I, I had a, had an online lesson over FaceTime yesterday in the backyard working on short game, just because when we have the time and can't go anywhere else. So uh, you might as well work on something that's going to save me a few strokes. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, I've even had, you know, guys call me with, you know, just wanting to talk about this is a time to reflect on, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, that weekly grind's not there, that pressure, uh, I can only imagine what it must feel like for some of these guys that have been out there for, for so many years. Mm. Uh, You know, it's not like it's been forever, but we've had some suspension of, uh, you know, a good, a good number of tournaments at this point. Uh, But I am very intrigued to look at, okay. I don't know when the whistle blows again. Okay. Yeah. When when we waved the green flag, but I believe that we're gonna see the result of some folks possibly committing this time in order to. Hey, I don't know where I'm at on the world uh, money rankings, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use this time. It's and it's a time that would be a healthy thing too, is to go out there and let's really work on that game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, someone, someone has a real opportunity in, in the way the schedule is shaping up now with these majors and how everything's so condensed into the end of the season. If someone gets really hot at the end of this season, they could scoop an incredible amount of money, turn, you know, wins, whether it be majors, FedEx yeah. Cup, the whole deal. Somebody gets, yeah. somebody gets red hot. and 100% right. I mean, someone could go in there with the condensation of a lot of this. Hey, mm-hmm. they could put a big hard run on the table and and change their career forever. Well, I was thinking about it. I was walking the dog last night, Mike, and it, this I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking if Tiger can kind of get himself in a spot where he's feeling good, and at the end of the season, you know, where he played great in that, you know, the Zozo at the end of last year, and. You know, he's feeling good about everything. And he can put together a run and maybe snatch a couple of these majors and really put a run for, for 18. I mean, it could be just the most incredible story if he can do that. Oh, absolutely. You know, all... A little, a little modified all, slam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just mind-boggling of how this virus... Mm. that we're facing with globally right now is affecting. Okay, so that was Mr. Mike Taylor of Artisan Golf. I don't know if it will get much better than that on the podcast. He's, uh, he's an impressive individual and one of the most down-to-earth guys, I think, yeah. in this industry. So pretty pretty cool honor to speak with him. I mean, I get to speak with him quite a bit, but for everyone to, to listen to his words of wisdom, it's, it's pretty cool. And you, you, you're trying to be sort of almost respectful of his time, but I felt like we could have done that one for hours. Yeah, he was, uh, he was ready to go all day long. <laughs> well, you know, with this whole nonsense, there might be a part two uh, if there's, you know, if, there's, if we have more time, which I'm sure we will have. So, um, yeah. yeah, so huge thanks to, to Mike and, and all the, the people at Artisan for, for giving us some some time with Mike. That was a huge, huge honor. And, and I think so many people will really enjoy this. A bit of a mythical figure in the in the golf industry. Um, someone that obviously Mike just loves his work. He's not looking for any limelight or credit. He's no. he's not looking for any of that from anyone. He's just he just wants to work with his tools, work with the athletes as he calls them. I mean, there are so many nuggets in there. I'm just listening, going, all of us are coming out the other side of listening to that better at what we do. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, it's always nice talking to him. And I think, uh, maybe a trip is, uh, in the future for, for the both yeah. of us, uh, or the three yeah. of us to, to head down there and spend some time. Cause that's just, uh, I know it, people don't even understand how cool it is in there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where we can, we can probably shed the most light on what the artisan experience is. Cause Mike is such a humble guy he probably, you know, in, in a sense, won't market it the way that we would 
you know, we will yeah. will rave about it, and then obviously be able to relay how incredible it is. And you've you've been and done it. I mean, you're the you're the yeah. perfect person. You've you've got the products. You've got you use the putter. You use the wedges. I mean, you have yeah. had the full, uh, you know, more than the full Mike T experience. You had you had a a, a one in a lifetime experience to spend the time you spent with them. Yeah, I mean. You know, I would call it like a, a tiger experience. Yeah, I've had four solid days with Mike learning and, mm-hmm. and life stories and stuff. So yeah. um, this is why to get him on the podcast is try to share those stories. I think people can learn a ton from those. Well, pal, I mean, you know, there's, there's, this is, if there's ever a time to count your blessings and what you're thankful for, you know, this is it. And, and obviously to have uh, someone like Mike who's, who's in a mentor role for someone like yourself, I mean, yeah. that's something you can wake up every single day and, and, uh, and think of that as something to be grateful for. So that's a for pretty sure. cool thing. Yeah. All right, pal. Well, uh, signing off, um, lots more great guests to come. I mean, our list is, is getting better and better here. Um, you know, I think we were talking to some other industry professionals yesterday about this opportunity right now. And, that you will we'll never see another time when we have access to to the people that we do right now because everyone no. has time in their hands. We're, we're we're truly fortunate in that sense. Yeah, and I think once this lifts, whether it's a week from now or two months from now, once it does, yeah. it'll be you know quote unquote a shit show because people just want yeah. to get everything done and cram a season in. And oh, they will. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I wish it was you know Mike said mm-hmm. in an hour we could get back to work, but. Um, so- hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, you guys, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Episode two, season two of the podcast. We'll be back with the next episode soon.